Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and I am sitting here with Liz Toombs. Thank you for joining me, Liz. Thanks for having me, Angela. So I want to get started by introducing Liz. Liz has a really unique and impressive background. So Liz Toombs is known as the go-to decorator for sorority interiors on college campuses. The work of Liz Toombs and the PDR interiors team can be seen on over 80 campuses spread across 22 states. That's impressive. A leader in decorating industry for nearly two decades, Liz is a graduate of the University of Kentucky and an alumna of the Alpha Gamma Delta sorority. Mentoring women is a keystone of PDR, something Toombs has learned to value through her fraternity experience. Helping to preserve that experience for current and future members of women's organizations is what drives Toombs to focus on sorority housing projects. In addition to PDR's vast work in Greek housing, the firm also offers comprehensive services for private residences. A trusted media resource, Toombs is quoted in notable outlets, including the Huffington Post, the Associated Press, and Realtor.com. She and the company were featured on MSNBC's Your Business in a profile about the brand's business acumen. Very cool. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love women who find a unique niche and just go all in on it. So um, congratulations on that success. That's amazing. Thank you. So let's get started by just finding out how did you get into this industry? What prompted you to go down this route in particular? Um, I always say it kind of found me. To be honest, I didn't realize that it was a viable um, niche market. So do you recall when Trading Spaces was Yes, love that show. Okay. (laughs) All right. So it's first iteration. I was obsessed with it. I Uh was in college, actually in my sorority house watching an episode and a designer did a sorority space. And I was like, that is amazing. Like that is so cool. cool. Whatever that you know doesn't exist, and so fast forward after graduation, you know I'm getting into this profession. My husband worked for the University of Kentucky and was helping a fraternity fundraise for a new facility. And in the interim, they needed help to spruce up what they what they had, and yeah. so they asked for my help. And I was like, well, sure, no problem. Yeah. So then from there, it just became word of mouth. Then a women's organization called and then I got hooked in with their headquarters and it just snowballed from there through a lot of networking and um, and referrals. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the condensed answer. That is super awesome. Yeah. And I love it. I used to love trading spaces and I would yeah. always imagine like, okay, how would I redecorate this? And <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. That was like the first real breakthrough, you know, DIY show that kind of got the whole obsession with DIY. DIY kicked You're off. Right. I, yes, I it was. And I would get so stressed out when mm-hmm. a homeowner would say, give me anything but X. Yeah. And <laughs> the designer would give them that. And obviously <laughs> it was for shock value and drama on TV, but I was like, oh, this is so wrong. You're not supposed to do it that way. <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. So you've always had a passion for design? 
I have. Um, I experienced a lot of different styles of homes um, mm. through my childhood. My granddad was a retired um, school principal and he okay. got into real estate. And I had the pleasure of accompanying him to a lot of open houses and just oh, yeah. seeing the listings. And it just sparked an interest in me. Mm. And um, I kind of have a lot of creative folks in my family. And so it, it makes sense how it's all culminated to this profession now. That's super awesome. Yeah, I, I have um, very little artistic talent, so I can always appreciate when other people do, because for me, it is so foreign. I mean, I can kind of sort of put things together, but it still to me is is painful almost to to have to think through something like that. In fact, oh. when I first started doing any kind of podcasting, I was working with a media consultant who was amazing. I love her, but she's like, your Zoom setup is terrible. Oh. This is like my my office was red and like bright red and gray. Oh yeah. <laughs> when I first bought my house and I, you know, kind of did this. It was my company colors. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm University of Maryland graduate. So okay. I was like, you know, going down that track. And I was like, it's just my space. But then when Zoom became a thing and people started kind of peeking into your space, it became a lot more like, wow, this really is terrible. I had a window behind me. So anytime I was on Zoom, all you could see is the shadow. And Yeah. It was and washing so, you out, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so that this whole background is new. Um, I, I just became obsessed with like, okay, I'm, I'm, I sold everything in the, in the room. I got all white furniture instead of all black furniture. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, lightened up the whole space, rearranged it. So the window was in front of me and not behind me. And so anyway, it was, it was, I was going through decorating blog after blog after blog. And you know what? There's nothing about Zooms. So I think it's so new still. And, you yeah. know, nobody expected to be thrust into needing it day in and day out. Yeah. Years ago, and that's when everybody had to get very savvy on how to do it correctly. And it's and it's like now when I'm watching TV, I look at their Zoom background. I'm like, oh, yes. that's a good one. Oh, no, they should have made their bed. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, you you become very judgy about somebody's Zoom background now because. <laughs> so so I remember watching a draft with my <laughs> husband and I he was into whatever, you know, the coaches were saying. And I yeah. was like, look at that living room. What right. are they thinking? They're on national television. Or I'd be like. <laughs> That is amazing. They did a really nice job setting that up. I was yes. just like you're saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I do the same thing. And I think I was watching that draft because I think I was doing something. And it was one of those nights where they had all everybody was in a different, you know, they're all in their own spaces. And and yeah, I'm like, OK, that person's in their basement. That's yep. obvious. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Some of them didn't have good lighting. So yeah, they, uh, they were on the national stage there. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so I thought that was fascinating that there was just really no zoom, um, no zoom consultations, like, you know, what mm -hmm. makes a good zoom background. So anyway, mm -hmm. it could be a new, that could be a new niche. For, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. So I, um, so I wanted to kind of a little bit find out with sororities, do you find that it's different than home decorating? Like, are you decorating more because you have so many different tastes and so many different, you know, styles? How do you get it to where everybody's going to be happy or at least happy-ish, you know? And how do you decorate for that many people in such a, a space that has to transition? 
Yeah, I mean, it has potential to be death by committee if you're yeah. not careful. But <laughs> right. to your point, um, you know, you have a lot of people's opinions yes. coming in. And so typically there is a decision-making committee, folks mm-hmm. that are charged with, you know, making this space look good. And so it can be made up of collegians, alumni, folks at uh, the headquarters housing level. Mm-hmm. And so usually we ask for some parameters up front. You know, are we going with... Um, the brands or the organization's brand colors, symbols, those types of things. Is that a driver for this? Are we looking Mm -hmm. for a specific aesthetic? You know, if you're in the deep South, you may want a little bit more of a traditional, more floral, feminine look, whereas sometimes out West or in the Northeast, they want a little bit more of a modern look. Mm -hmm. So we try to get to the bottom of that. What, What are your preferences? What do you want to happen? So each project is unique in its look because campus culture, the organization's preference, and then the decision makers preferences are all going to play in. So it becomes kind of a melting pot on every project. Um, And they may have similar tastes. You know, we may do some that that have similar tastes, but they're never going to look the exact same. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay. And then when you're putting together, um, like what is what is probably one of the most important features? Is it the gathering areas for for sororities? It is the formal spaces. I'm going to say formal in quotes, kind of yeah. like our in our homes, the formal living rooms are are dying out. The formal living rooms in these sorority spaces are just not feasible anymore. We mm. don't need to have these rooms that are acting as museums. They all the spaces need to get used. We have tons of women that either live there or come through there on a daily basis. And so we need to figure out how do they need to use this space? What meets their needs? Is it that they need studying space? How much of it? Is it that they want to watch TV together or hold meetings? And what kind of um, technology do they need to support that? Mm -hmm. And then is there a room that needs to serve all of those functions? And how do we make that happen? Uh, And we really focus on durability and quality just because it's a commercial space that looks like a residential space. Mm. And so you have to get creative with what you're choosing to put in and and how you're designing the the room for them. Oh, that's fascinating. So so what do you see as a as a trend moving in into the world of residential design? What trends are you seeing as far as spaces? Do you see that more people are designing more Zoom-friendly spaces, or is it more all about family? functionality? Is it about work at home? What what are you seeing as far as trends when you're talking about residential design? It is a mix of family focused, but also work components, because mm-hmm. a lot of people are either doing a hybrid schedule or they have gone to full work from home, depending on what their companies decided to do following COVID shutdowns. Right. So, you know, sometimes it means that there is a dedicated room or at least a dedicated corner in the house that mm-hmm. they have identified, this is where I'm going to do my video conferencing calls and I need to have a certain aesthetic here. You know, to your point, I need to face the window. I need to make right. sure the background is clean and tidy. It doesn't matter if chaos is breaking loose behind yes. the computer. The kids can be going berserk as long right. as what's on camera, <laughs> they're in good right. shape. So we are seeing a lot of that. I've had some folks request um, some specific desks and some help with identifying places in their home to do these these Zoom meetings. But we're also seeing a lot more um, color saturation. For so long, we've had uh, the muted grays and Mm -hmm. um, just very light colors, 
neutral tone on tones and people are starting to want to warm it up a little bit more and go with jewel tones like the emerald greens, your purples, some sapphire colors and in different ways. It doesn't mean they're coating their entire room that way. Right. Um, you know, to your point, you had red walls at one time. Mm-hmm. That may not be everyone's preference, but they mm-hmm. may want to bring in punches of red and do that through some fabrics or some window treatments or accessories and things like that. But we are seeing people choose to pop in uh, stronger colors now. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I've always been a fan of, you know, colors in a room. I think it yes. just brightens it up and it makes it feel happier, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm a big fan of colors, but I remember everything was uh, neutral. Everything was beige or, yes. you know, gray. I think agreeable gray is the one that I think everybody had painted their house. At it's a great one. It's a good choice. It is. Yes, it is. But yeah, so that, that was, it was so neutral, but yeah, I, I like the idea that more and more people are coming up with colors and, and uh, making that transition. So, um, okay, cool. So where's your inspiration come from when you're designing? So when you're designing a home, does the inspiration come within, around the area, the person? Uh, That is a question that is somewhat dependent on the project. I still love my old school magazines. So the Mm. Better Homes and Gardens, Southern Living, Southern Home. I have subscriptions. They come to my house and I just love the tactile flipping through the pages. So Mm -hmm. I get a lot of inspiration from seeing what is out there and what other people are doing. Um, Pinterest is wonderful too, but I just, at some point I need to stop scrolling on my phone and that's just a personal preference. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love getting in the magazines and just seeing what's out there. I'm also known to go into public spaces like hotels or restaurants or storefronts and just touch everything, touch what the (laughs) wall applications are. I like to pull on the picture frames and see how they're mounted to the wall. it kind of embarrasses my husband sometimes, but that gives me inspiration yeah. too, because if I could just see in real world applications, the way that things are being done, it may give me ideas that can serve my clients on the next mm. project. Yeah. But then overall, it really, the inspiration comes from what the client is wanting to have happen. So mm-hmm. I usually do ask for them to provide us a Pinterest board. And that goes for our residential clients or our Greek clients. Show me mm-hmm what you have in your mind's eye, because you could use words and those may mean different things to me. But if you show me a photograph and you say this style sofa is my jam, or please let's get something close to this wall color or this whole room, the vibe of it is what I want to recreate. I can understand that. And I know where to take you from there. So there's a lot of different sources of inspiration. Very cool. Okay. So tell me, when you are doing your designing and you are working with a client, where do you start? Do you start with colors of the walls? Do you start with the theme of the room? Do you st- like, how, I don't, and again, I'm not a designer and I'm not creative at all. So tell me what this process looks like for you. Well, we start with a lot of questions trying to mm. get inside their head. And so once we understand where they're trying to go with it, we usually will start with um, an area rug, if that okay. is going to be in the space, because Compared to paint colors, there's only so many choices of area rugs that work in terms of budget, size, style, color. We have a lot of parameters. They're going to limit what our choices are. So we start there. And you build that as the foundation of your room. And then you come up with your furniture. Sometimes we get a project where there is a piece that they want to keep. And so we may start by working around that. But paint color is actually the last thing we choose because there are millions of choices Mm. and you can't go wrong, you know, once you've started to narrow, narrow this down. 
That's brilliant. Yeah, that makes so much sense because I've always gone backwards. I'm like, well, let's see. I guess I'll go with gray. And then I try matching everything to that. And it's uh-huh. very difficult. <laughs> so, well, I and if you're that. building a home, you sometimes are forced to work backwards. So, yeah. to have somebody helping you make those selections, you, they start with the end in mind so that mm. you can get back to that. Okay, I can tell them what color my cabinets, walls, floors are going to be because I know what the end result is going to look like with my furnishings. Very cool. Okay, cool. So when you are, you're, you're based in Kentucky. I am. I'm in Lexington. (laughs) Very cool. I love Lexington. Love, love, love it. So I actually have gone to some horse races there. Oh, yes. uh, Yeah. Was it Keeneland? It is Lexington. It's a beautiful track. It's a very fun social outing too. Yeah, it is. I love Keeneland. So I've been there a couple of times and um, yeah, Kentucky is just a beautiful place altogether. So have you always lived in Kentucky? I have. I grew up in Louisville where the mm-hmm. Derby is held. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly horse racing is just always right. been a part <laughs> of my of my life, even though I'm not in the horse industry. But yes, right, I grew right. up in Louisville, came to Lexington to go to the University of Kentucky, met my yep. husband and we stayed and settled here. So always been a Kentucky girl. Awesome. Awesome. So what other passions do you find, you know, that are unrelated to design that that still help inspire you in everything that you do? Because I know you had mentioned horses. So is that part of I know there's just so many aspects of usually when you have hobbies, when you have interests, is there anything that you do that also leads to inspiration and design? Um, well, there's a couple things that come to mind. So my husband and I like to go down to Lake Cumberland, okay. uh, which is in southeastern Kentucky. And so mm-hmm. I get inspiration there by just unplugging and, yeah. and chilling out. I do my best thinking if I'm on an airplane or I'm in a car because I am singularly focused on one task. I don't have a million things mm-hmm. in front of me and going through my mind. And the same is true if I'm down at the boat. I can just relax and get some inspiration and get some clarity on some things business-wise and so I always appreciate that time. But then also um, something I'm really passionate about, you talked about it in my bio, is mentoring, mentoring mm. students. Uh, I really enjoy that. I enjoy learning about leadership. I listen to a lot of podcasts or read books related to business leadership. And I just find learning about that is something I'm constantly wanting to do. And I really value what I'm learning and I like to put it into practice. Yeah. So do you have a mentor that has guided you through this process? Is there somebody who has kind of been a big influence for you? Nothing formal, but I do have um, a mother-daughter client duo that have just been great inspirations for me. They are businesswomen. They are strong women. I look up to them greatly, and I've told them that many times over the years. So indirectly, I've learned a lot from them. And then I've had some other folks that I've met along the way just through business Mm -hmm. that have been good inspirations and modeled some um, great leadership for me. That's awesome. I really appreciate that because I know having women as a role model is both uh, impactful for women and also rare because I think a lot of our mentors end up being men because it's hard to find women in the business world who are out there doing incredible things that you can really look up to. And then if you do see them, a lot of them are just too busy to do mentoring. So women who take the time to mentor others is like, they're my favorite human beings on the planet. (laughs) 
<laughs> love them. Um, so as women, we often give our power away. So, you know, as we're building our business or growing in our career or, you know, raising our families, we often give our power away. You know, we, we give credit to other people. We don't take our credit. We don't we don't own credit when it's due or or we allow somebody to take our power away in one way or another. Do you know of a time where you have given your power away and then another time that you've stepped into your power? And tell me about the difference and in, in what made that difference for you. Oh my gosh. Well, that is a very um, in-depth and insightful question that's <laughs> causing me to have to really think here. Yeah. Um, as far as giving my power away, what's coming to mind is not necessarily a specific event, but more a series of decisions to behave a certain way. And what I'm talking about is if I'm in a business meeting or on a phone call and I, I feel like somehow I'm the underdog or the you know, I don't have as much power as someone that is in the meeting or I'm in the conversation with. I find myself kind of diminishing my opinion or maybe yes. using that phrase, I'm sorry, but, you know, apologizing for something that I don't need yeah. to apologize for. <laughs> right. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You I know, we do it all the time. Yeah, it's just, it's something, I don't know if it's ingrained in us as children. I don't know where I picked it up, but it's something that I now actively work on trying not to do. I told my husband the other day, I wanted to say to someone, I'm sorry. I don't do X. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to apologize. I can just say I don't do X and it's going to be fine. Either yes. way, I don't have to say I'm sorry because I'm lying. I'm not actually sorry. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I don't want to be a liar. So yes, that's no, not where I that's coming from. <laughs> I, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, oh gosh, as far as stepping into it, um, I think part of it comes from choosing to like step into this niche market, you know, you talked about at the beginning, admiring people that really hone in and know their, their target market. I was really afraid to do that in the beginning. I think as a, I was a young person, I was 25 when I started my company. And so I had a lot to learn about a lot of things, not just Mm -hmm. business, but also as a new business owner, you're scared to say no to something because you feel like you're I don't know if you're going to just go bankrupt. I don't know what you're scared of Mm -hmm. at the time. Everyone has different opinions, but um, I just think it was a situation that when I said, okay, I love this. I'm good at this. I'm going to own this and I'm going to go after it. That made a big difference for me. And it gave me a lot of confidence and empowerment. So we're not for everyone here at PDR, but for those that we are trying to serve, you know, we're here for you. Right. So what made you want to go into business for yourself versus go and work at a big design firm or or do something kind of different in terms of like climbing a ladder, a corporate ladder? Sure. Um, I have always worked for small business since okay. I, I graduated. I worked for a small countertop manufacturer when I first got out. And then um, my job was sales. So I worked with homeowners, contractors, and designers to oh, build nice. a customer base and to mm-hmm. serve them on their projects. Well, one of my designer customers uh, had a job opportunity and I really wanted to pursue it. That was kind of my end game was that was the ultimate for me where I wanted to end up. And so I did that and um, I did that for a couple of years, got a certification, but then the recession hit. So as you can imagine, a luxury service like design, it it just wasn't on the top of everyone's radar. So um, that firm actually ended up closing down. And I remember talking to my husband and saying, I don't, I guess I just need to go get a job somewhere else. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he looked at me and said, I don't understand why you wouldn't just try it on your own. You've been doing this for two years. 
you've learned what you need to do. You've built the relationships, just start and go after it. Um, And so I thought, well, if, if you're on board with this, then let's give it a go. And so that was 2009 and here we sit. That's awesome. And you know, some of the best businesses are built during recessions Mm -hmm. because you have grit and tenacity that carry you through other times. And so that, that, you know, kind of, and, and you're, you're left with no decision, you know, no options. And so during a recession, when everything else is shutting down around you, it becomes a, you know, I'm going to figure this out and it's going to be great. And so good for you. Kudos to your husband too, for for encouraging that. I think that's amazing. And um, sometimes people see things in us that we don't even see in ourselves. So I think that's beautiful. You're right. You're right. And I think for me, again, just being young and relatively naive, I assumed to start a business was quite an ordeal. You know, you had to have a nest egg that you had saved up or investors or financial things that just seemed very daunting. And I didn't, I started with nothing. I started working with clients. And then as I would take in money, I would invest a certain percentage back into networking and marketing. And I'd pay myself a little bit and just keep snowballing that as I went. And so I hope that people listening who are considering trying to go out on their own, I hope that you hear that as encouragement to step out and to do it because it doesn't have to be such a big deal. You can slowly start and build your way up there. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you for saying that because I find that all the time. Every business that I've built, I haven't taken a single investor on. I have not like it, even bank loans. Like I Mm -hmm. shy away from bank loans as much as I can because for me, building it, bootstrapping a business teaches you so many good lessons and it teaches you really good money management because you don't have, you know, when I see people get, you know, $300 million investments and then they blow it all and they're bankrupt in two years. It's not surprising at all because you don't know what to do with $300 million if you've never had to manage, you know, (laughs) 3 million and you've never had to manage 300, you know? And Mm -hmm. so what do you do in those circumstances when you're just, you know, handed a bunch of money, then you overpay yourself, you spend reckless money. You have no, you, all you know is I have to spend this money. They're counting on me to spend this money in a way that makes sense. And so they're, they're spending it on things that don't make sense. And, you know, they're justifying it as building a business and they're over hiring and they're, you know, bringing in every consultant under the sun and none of it makes any sense. So you are so right. I think it does become more about appearances. And I have said for a long time, I would rather people not know who I am and be very successful and flying under the radar than to have everyone know my name and really behind the scenes, the whole place Mm -hmm. is in shambles. Yep. Yep. I like covert success. I like, (laughs) I like for me to, to be able to have the success and feel good about what I'm doing every day versus put on this facade, this whole fake it till you make it thing. I wish that whole idea would go away (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. because I think it has created uh, you know, this mentality of I need to be very showy. And I and then and then like Instagram, you know, I feel like Instagram has created this like unrealistic yeah. version of what Amer- what what people are doing in their lives. You know? yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, you're right. Yeah. It is. It's everything is a kind of a mask and a facade in a way. Yeah. And so, you know, with with businesses, that's that's become the norm is, you know, you see these technology companies getting these great big, you know, venture capital rounds and you're thinking, oh, well, that's how I have to build a business. And it's so not how you have to, you know, bootstrapping a business will 
90% of the time lead you in a better direction and provide a better foundation for you. So at least do it for a while, you know, until the point where, where it hurts, it should hurt. And that's when you need to get money, you know, but, but until then figure out how to survive with grit and tenacity and you'll do better long-term. So true. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of that. So congratulations. So um, tell me um, what advice would you give to 18 year old you? Oh, um, maybe enjoy the journey more. Don't be so focused on trying to get to some end goal that, you know, a lot comes from the experiences that you have along the way. And it's all going to culminate in exactly what you want to happen. And it's going to be even better than you thought. So calm down, which probably I can tell myself now, (laughs) calm down. (laughs) <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> I know. And I, I, I often do this prayer of like, you know, whatever is for me in my life or bring people into my life who are for me and take them away if they're not for me. And yeah. then somebody will disappear out of my life. And I'm like, but wait, this wasn't the time. <laughs> like, Did I really I, want that to happen? But you know, I feel like everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And Agreed. when we force it, uh, it becomes painful. So, yes. you know, just allowing things to happen in the time that they're supposed to is, is great advice. So uh, what do you wish more people knew? Ooh, you and the questions today, they're very good. <laughs> um, the, the first thing that pops into my head is that being self-employed or owning your own company does not necessarily mean glamour and you know eating bonbons or running off on vacation every other week. Mm-hmm. It actually is a lot of hard work because everything stops with you. And so no matter how many folks you have working with you, if you have zero or if you have five or if you have 50, it still all falls on your shoulders. Um, and there's a lot of passion behind it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's there's benefits to going in and working for someone else and punching a clock and then getting out and walking away. And there's benefits to living and breathing the business that you're doing. It just you have to figure out what works for you. But just because you own your own business does not mean you're in the lap of luxury and life is easy. Not at all. <laughs> There was the quote that entrepreneurs will work 80 hours for themselves to avoid working 40 hours for somebody else. And it's true, you know, vacations. um, I can't remember the last time I took a vacation without working and taking my laptop on the vacation as if it's a swimsuit. (laughs) It's a hazard of the job for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, yeah, that the passion though, it, it goes all the way through. And, you know, there are days where there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And then there are other days where I question my sanity every single minute of that day. (laughs) I understand that it's quite a roller coaster that people don't recognize that's going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I have really enjoyed talking with you today. Likewise, I really appreciate you hosting me. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. So thank you. This is the end of Pretty Powerful Podcast today, but please like, subscribe, and uh, check out our other episodes. And if you want to learn more about Liz Toombs, please go to our website at prettypowerfulpodcast.com. She is with PDR Interiors, and you can find all of her information on um, on our website. Thank you so much, Liz. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, 
Step into your own power 